Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the God who speaks, that you are the all-knowing, all-powerful God who is over all things. And we pray tonight as we hear your word that you help us to listen and to hear and to live in light of what you say. And we ask for the power of your Holy Spirit that he might help us to understand these words and live them out. These things we ask through Jesus, your son. Amen. Well, uh, last week uh, we left on on quite the high point, really, uh, didn't we? Uh, Chapters 4 and 5 of Revelation, and hopefully you looked at them in your gospel team, they are truly awesome. Chapter 4, there is God on the throne. Chapter 5, there is the land that is worthy. And you have this, this cosmic picture of all the living creatures and, uh, and the 24 elders and angels that cannot be numbered. They're, they're just innumerable, thousands of them. And there's every being that has ever existed praising and worshipping and saying blessing and honour and power and dominion. It's grand. Uh, it's majestic. That is Revelation chapter 4 and chapter 5. And all that because the lamb was worthy to take the scroll. That he came up to the one on the throne and was worthy to take the scroll from God. And at this point, as we come to chapter 6, it's like the entire universe is now waiting to see what will happen next. What will happen as this worthy lamb who's approached the throne has taken the scroll and will open the seals of the scroll? What will we see? Uh, It's like Christmas Day uh, for the five-year-old. If you can remember being five, Christmas to Christmas, one year, that's an eternity, long time. And finally, the day is here and that mystery present under the Christmas tree, the wrapping will come off and all the excitement that comes with that. And so here we are, chapter 6, verse 1. The lamb is about to open the first seal. And what are we expecting? What are we actually hoping to see? What are we looking forward to being revealed? Are we hoping for a shiny new bike, as most kids on Christmas morning might? Are we hoping for peace on earth, perhaps? Are we hoping for the end of world famine? The end of poverty, economic equality. They're all good things to exist. Jesus is the victor. He's been victorious. These are good things and right things to expect, desirable things. And yet, as Gloria read Revelation chapter 6, well, it couldn't be further from the truth, right? As chapter 6 was read, that the wrapping comes off and you get the four horsemen of the apocalypse, as they say. There's no shining new bike for the five-year-old. The the wrapping comes off and it's a rotting corpse. It's it's war. It's famine. It's death. And I'll be uh, frank and honest from the very beginning. Chapter 6 of Revelation is not your typical feel-good memory verse. Uh, They don't do this at kids' church often. Uh, It's not the kind of verse that you kind of print out and stick up on your fridge with a magnet to make you feel good when you're down. No, no. This is one of the most confronting chapters in all the Bible. You see, this is a picture of judgment. This is a picture of suffering. This is not a picture of peace and and prosperity and abundance as, as the lamb opens the seal, but of war and famine and poverty, which leads to death. And it's jarring. From, from all the, the celebratory picture of, of Revelation 4 and 5 and all that we wait for here coming to chapter 6, it's jarring to read what we read. And yet, we desperately need to understand chapter 6 of Revelation. You see, if we are going to see how God sees, if we are going to understand the times we are in now, if we are to realize that God is not ignorant of suffering and and evil and wickedness in our world, and that actually He's sovereign over those things, 
then we need to understand this picture of judgment and suffering in Revelation chapter 6. You see, we won't see our world clearly if we don't hear what God says here. This is important. But uh, before we jump into the details of chapter 6, uh, we need to do a little bit of work first. And there's uh, three things we need to know, three things I want us to know. And the first is that, that as we read about the, the seven seals here in chapter 6 and next week in chapter 7, and then as we read of the seven trumpets, that's later on, chapters 8 to 11, as we read those things, they are not chronological events. Uh, as we read the rest of Revelation, we're not supposed to read this as if, firstly, this happened. And then as you keep reading on, this other thing happened next. And then as you keep reading through Revelation, this other thing happened next, and so on and so on. Do not read Revelation like that. We'll make all sorts of mistakes. No, what we are reading in these chapters are the same events from different angles. Uh, so in a past life, uh, when I had more time on my hands, some of you might still be living this dream. Uh, I used to play Xbox uh, I used to enjoy playing Xbox. I'd play Formula One. That might be a bit nerdy for some of you, but I liked it. And uh, whenever I kind of played this game and I pulled off this really impressive move, you know, this, this kind of overtaking this other car with millimeter precision, uh, such was my skill and my advanced level, such was the wasting of hours of my life. Uh, but, but whenever I pulled off this great move, what I'd do is I'd pause the game, I'd pause the race, and I'd watch the action replay. And then I'd watch myself kind of from the front view and go, yeah, that's really good. I'm really good. And then I'd watch from the side view and then the rear view just to see how close did my tire get to that other car's tire. And I would kind of sing my own praises when no one else was watching. Uh, But that's kind of what we get here. You see, as I did that, I was watching the same event, the same move over and over again. And that's how we need to read these chapters in Revelation. Don't read Revelation as if these are a sequence of events that lead to the end of history as we know it. That would be to read Revelation incorrectly. No, these are the same events that will come up through the rest of the book of Revelation over and over again. The same things will come up as a pattern and they are there to show us the same periods of time from different viewpoints, from different angles. Uh, That's really important. That's probably the first most important thing to note as we start reading from chapter 6. Uh, The second thing to note is that chapter 6 and 7, they go together. It's the one kind of package deal. The seals, they go together. They need to be read as a unit. And uh, so we need to remember, as hard-hitting and confronting as chapter 6 is today, chapter 7 also forms part of the the whole picture. But sadly, we won't get there till next week. Uh, So this is like the judgment side of the equation, while next week we'll kind of see the salvation side of the same equation. Uh, really, I think uh, Phil just wanted me to do the doom and gloom so he could have the glory next week. But he's the rector. He's got the rights. Uh, but the third and final thing we need to note as we come to this chapter is that there's a pattern. And it's a pattern that repeats. And we'll see this same pattern as we get to chapters 8 to 11. But uh, make sure you've got your Bible in front of you now. Revelation chapter 6. But did you notice how each of the first four seals, just the first four, each of the first four seals are opened in the same way? So have a look at your Bibles, chapter 6. Each time a seal's open, it's the lamb who opens the seal. And for the first four, it's one of the living creatures who then says, come. And then out comes a horse and out comes a horseman. And that is the same for each of the first four seals. If you look at verse 1, verse 3, verse 5, verse 7, it's the same thing, the repeated same thing. But then when you get to to seal number 5, it's different. No more horsemen. 
no more, uh, no more living creatures. And same with seal number six. And if you're listening closely as chapter six was read, what was missing? The seventh seal. It didn't come up. Uh, it's like uh, Macca's drive-thru where you add a, when you kind of go through drive-thru and you order seven cheeseburgers, uh, which I do, not because I'm a pig, but because I have six people in my family. And my nine-year-old son, he likes to eat two cheeseburgers, so we order seven. And as you kind of get out and you're driving, you're halfway down the road and you open the bag to see what's inside, you count. And there's only six. Six cheeseburgers, not seven. Sacrilegious. Horrible. Uh, where's number seven? And it's kind of like that. We have to wait to go back to drive through. No, no. It's not until we get to chapter eight. So we're in chapter six, but it's not until we get to chapter eight that we see the opening of the seventh seal. And so there's a pattern that repeats in Revelation. It's up on the screen. See, the first four, they always go together. The first four seals in these chapters, and when we get to the trumpets later, the first four trumpets go together. Then you get uh, seal or trumpet number five and six, and then there's this interlude. There's like a chapter or maybe a chapter of a, ha- a half, and then you get the seventh seal or the seventh trumpet. So that's how we're going to deal with this chapter today. We're going to look at the first four seals together because there are units. It's one period of time. It's the one unit, those four first seals. And then we'll think about seal five and seal six. And with number seven, well, you have to come back next week and uh, see how Phil gets all the glory. Uh, so now we're ready to go. Uh, we're off, as they say, at the horse races. Uh, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. That's where we start. Which I must say is a really unfortunate term. Because whenever people think of the horsemen of the apocalypse, what do they picture? They picture the end of the world as we know it. They picture Armageddon, Judgment Day. But that is not what we have to picture here. You see, this is actually a picture of what is happening now, not the end. This is a picture not of God's judgment when Jesus finally comes back at the end, but actually a picture of God's judgment now. And uh, we won't have time to look at these passages, sadly, but do, uh, please do so in your gospel teams. But this idea of, uh, of different colored horses and this idea of four judgments that these different colored horses bring, it's not new in the Bible. And hopefully you're learning this about Revelation already. There's so much Old Testament background that helps us with Revelation. And these uh, pictures of these different colored horses and the four judgment and the four horses, this is an Old Testament picture for God's judgment for sin. And you see that in places like Zechariah chapter 1 and chapter 6. Uh, you see it in Ezekiel chapter 14. And in those pictures, you have a, in those passages, you have a picture of God bringing judgment for sin now. Not, not simply as a future end time thing, but a judgment that shows itself now. And this isn't just an Old Testament picture. Uh, again, do yourself a favor when you get home, read Matthew chapter 24. Uh, Write it down, read Matthew chapter 24 and read Mark 13 because there Jesus uses very similar language and very similar pictures to what we read now in Revelation chapter 6. And in the Gospels, what Jesus says there is he describes God's judgment as wars and famines and earthquakes. And Jesus tells us that such things, they are the beginning of birth pains. They're the beginning, but it's not yet the final judgment. It's the beginning, but it's not yet the end. It's the sign of the end, but it's not the end. Judgment now is actually a sign of the judgment to come. And if you remember what Paul says in Romans chapter 1, we know that God does bring judgment now for sin. 
Uh, it's up on the screen, just to remind us. It says this, Romans chapter 1. It says, for God's wrath is. Not God's wrath will be. Not God's wrath is going to be. God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So important for us to get right. You see, the suffering we see in our world, the hurt we see in our world today, the wars, the greed, the poverty, the famine, even, even COVID, plagues and things like COVID, all these things are both a consequence of human sin, of the fallen world that we live in since Genesis chapter 3, and a result of God's judgment for human sin. You see, God is revealing his wrath at the evil and the wickedness of humanity. And that is the picture we have from these four horsemen. So just have a quick look with me. So uh, look at the first horse and horseman, verse 2. This horse and horseman is bent on conquering. He's obsessed with victory, the color white of victory. He has a bow. What are his weapons for, for uh, what does he use for victory? Weapons, bows, uh, you know, modern day guns, if you might. And through war, he's conquering all that he can conquer. Then you get the second horseman. Look at verse 4. The second horseman with the fiery red horse, what does he do? He takes peace from the world so that people slay each other, so that they kill one another. And then the third, uh, look at verse 5. The third, the color black, who brings famine on the world, where a quart of wheat, so a quart of wheat in Jesus' day was basically enough wheat for your daily needs of, of, of sustenance, of food. So don't think our daily need of food. We, we generally overeat. Uh, this is just one day's worth of food that you need so that you're not starving. And what you paid for that was one day's worth of wages. That's all you get for your whole day of labor. You get just enough to feed yourself so you don't starve. And that was around uh, this uh, picture or this uh, value of what you pay for this food was about 12 times the normal cost of what wheat was in, in Jesus' day. And then you get the last horseman, the pale color horse of death, which always seems to follow war and conflict and, and famine. He's given authority to kill a fourth of the world. By sword and famine and plague and by wild animals. You see, it's not the uh, encouraging, kind of uplifting Sunday evening sermon, is it? But that is a picture of our world. That, that is a, a true reflection of the suffering in this world, really, since the day of Genesis chapter 3 and the 4. These are the signs of God's judgment for human sin and the consequence of human sin. That is what we see here. And as I was uh, thinking about this passage during the week, I couldn't help but, but think that this kind of seems quite foreign to us. You see, we read Revelations chapter 6, and it doesn't, doesn't feel very real. Uh, if I was to ask you, you know, how was your week? How, how was your week this week? What was the highlight? What was the lowlight? See, none of us can say, well, actually, the ruler from the nation next door came in on his white horse and ravaged my suburb and conquered me in my country. None of us can say that. None of us can say, well, actually, someone invaded my house and began to slaughter my family because there is no peace in this land. None of us can say that. And none of, none of us can say, you know, I worked a 12-hour day scavenging in the tip to find stuff to be able to sell it just so I could have enough money to buy one day's worth of food to feed myself. None of us can say that. You see, it's hard in many ways to feel the force of Revelation chapter 6 in our context. 
We live in this extraordinary time. We live in this extraordinary country. Uh, What you actually need to do is you need to read the world news more. Uh, Forget Facebook, forget news.com.au that has celebrity pics and, and is all just really sleazy, if I'm honest. It's disgusting. Read the world news and you see that this is true. Our world is like this picture in Revelation with war and conflict and famine. And if only we understand our history better, we will see that the history is our history, world history is full of war and conflict and famine. We live in an extraordinary time. We live in an extraordinary country. And what we need to realize is we have so much to be thankful to God for. You see, none of us deserve to be here. None of us deserve to be born into this country. We could have been born into the famine of Ethiopia. We could have been born under God's sovereign hand into war-torn Afghanistan. You see, it's only by God's grace and mercy that we are where we are and have what we have. And we should remember so much more. And I'm glad we did a Thanksgiving prayer tonight. We should remember so much more to be thankful to God, all of us, including myself. Because we live in extraordinary times and we live in an extraordinary country. So many blessings. But at the same time, if I asked each one of us today or asked people around us in our community, if I asked them, how are you going? And tell me the truth. How, how are you really going? Don't give me, oh, yeah, things been all right. Now, how are you really going? You see, most of us, if we're honest, would admit that life is hard, that there is suffering, that things, they they don't actually feel right. They don't sit right as we see war and evil and and suffering in our world. It doesn't feel right. If we're honest, we'd love to say, we'd love to have rest. If we're honest, we want true rest. We, We want no more pain. We want no more suffering, no more hurt, no more decay. We want peace. We want abundance. We want prosperity. Every single human being, if they're honest admits that no matter how rich they might be but this is what we must remember from this picture of revelation 6 jesus says yes that is great and that will come for the christian but not yet jesus tells us in matthew 24 the suffering and evil we see in our world this picture of the four horsemen and the tyranny that they bring around the world this is the beginning of the end but it's not yet the end and until it is this is our reality this is the picture this is the ongoing judgment to sin and the consequence of sin in our world and what we must realize is that god is sovereign over this Uh, did you notice what happened with each of the four horsemen have a look again at chapter six you see it's not as though each horseman kind of thought all right well today i feel like wrecking havoc on the world so what i'm going to do is i'm going to go out to my stables at the back of my property and i'm going to pick my favorite colored horse for today and go out and have some fun and make some trouble no no look at verse two this is so important to get right look at verse two the conquering king the evil conquering king was given his crown to go and be a conquering king and then look at verse 4 see verse 4 the horseman was empowered or literally it's the same word it's given it's the same original word as verse 2 he was given it was given to him to take peace from the world and in verse 6 look at verse 6 it's the voice there in verse 6 amongst the living creatures which we know from chapter 5 the voice amongst the living creatures is jesus see it's jesus who dictates what the famine will be like And finally, verse 8, again the same word, verse 8, it was given to the final horse and horseman authority to kill. So important for us to understand. 
You see, God is not ignorant about the suffering in our world. God is not ignorant about the evil in our world. When someone says, oh, God can't be real and he can't be true because there's suffering and he's evil. Well, that person just shows they've never read the Bible. See, the Bible is not afraid of this question of suffering. That The Bible is not silent about evil and wickedness. It clearly says God is sovereign over these things. He's in control of it. It's part of his plan. And God uses judgment like we see in Revelation 6 and evil like we see in Revelation 6 and wickedness for his good purposes. And again, if you read your Bible, you know this. In the Old Testament, wars are used to put an end to wicked regimes. And that is a good thing. Wars are used in judgment for God's purposes. Evil is used to bring about God's good plan. So Joseph being sold by his brothers into slavery, into Egypt... What did God do that for? So that he might save all of Israel through Joseph. And of course, the evil wickedness of the cross of Jesus shows us most gloriously how God can use evil for good. And throughout the Bible, you see this over and over again, judgment and suffering is used to bring people to God, to help them see how desperately they need God, to help them see that things aren't okay. That things aren't all good. And we've seen that, haven't we, with COVID this year. People suddenly think, I'm not in control. It's not okay. You see, God is sovereign over this whole situation and all of this is part of his plan, his good plan, even though we might not see it as fully as God does. So as we uh, think of these four horsemen, what we need to see is that this is a picture of now, not the end. This is reality for now of our time of the world we live in and it's a pretty gloomy picture and i know it's not the whole picture there are good things that god has given us in our world by god's grace and mercy which we can enjoy and the bible encourages to use the good things god gives us and be thankful for them which i think and again i'm guilty of this we often forget but i also think we'd all be lying every single human being would be a lie if they said that they didn't long for the end of all suffering They didn't long for the end of all pain and all wickedness and evil and tiredness. See, every single human being longs for true rest, for the eternal life that God has put on our hearts. And that is a rest that only Jesus can bring for us. But Jesus says, not yet. And you see, Christians are not immune from this picture of Revelation chapter 6. And we see that very clearly with the fifth seal. Uh, A a report was uh, released at the beginning of uh, 2020 on the number of of persecuted Christians around the world. And of just the top 50 countries, so not every country in the world, just the top 50 countries that were ranked as persecuting against Christians, of those 50 countries where Christians face the most severe persecution, there are 260 million of our brothers and sisters in Christ who are being persecuted. Uh, As far as the numbers we have worldwide, so if you take into consideration the whole world, all the countries of the world, there is, from the numbers we have, one in every eight Christian. Just imagine that in our room, just here, one in every eight, on average, across the whole world of our brothers and sisters that face severe persecution. And by severe persecution, uh, they mean detained without trial, sentenced without a lawyer, imprisoned, beaten, flogged, Church buildings attacked and, of course, killed. 
And again, as far as the numbers we have, there were 3,000 Christians killed in 2019 alone for their faith in Jesus. Killed just for being Christians like us. I think that's quite sobering. And it's a picture that, again, I think is hard for us to imagine in our extraordinary time, in our extraordinary country. Though if you heard about the bill passed in Victoria on, uh, on Thursday, I don't, know, I don't know if you heard, uh, but the day may be closer than we think, when we'll be charged simply for saying God's word. Uh, that's what the Victorian bill might put into practice. But you see, this is the picture we have with the fifth seal. Now is also the time of Christian persecution. Now is also the time when our brothers and sisters in Christ will be slaughtered, verse 9, because of God's word, because of their testimony of Jesus. That could happen to us in the future. I don't know. You see, that's what we are to expect in the days we are in now. And look at what those slain for Jesus say in verse 10. Please look at verse 10 as I read it out. These are our brothers and sisters in Christ. They cried out with a loud voice, Lord, the one who is holy and true, how long until you judge and avenge our blood from those who live on the earth? So a white robe was given to each one of them, and they were told to rest a little while longer until the number would be completed of their fellow slaves and their brothers who were going to be killed just as they had been. You see, you can hear the righteous cries of our brothers and sisters, can't you? See, they say, when God, when holy and just and righteous God, will you bring an end? When will your judgment come over all the wickedness and all the evil in the world who we've been slain by? We were killed because of Jesus. When will you bring your righteous judgment? And the answer is, not just yet. Wait a little longer. But why? You know, we want to know why. Why not now? Why not before those 21 Egyptian Christians, if you remember, were beheaded? in 2015 simply for being followers of jesus why not before that the systematic killing of christians in numerous nations throughout all of history why not before all of jesus almost all of jesus own apostles were killed for being followers of jesus they were almost all of them killed why not before that happened why because god is working his plan because those yet to be joined to the number of god's people is not yet finished because when we get to chapter 7 next week we will see that god's plan is a multitude that cannot be numbered from every nation and every tribe and every people and every language that is what god is doing now he's saving his people and if i can be uh, honest with all of us why hasn't jesus come back yet because of you because of me You see, if God's final judgment and righteous anger over all of sin had come 20 years ago, if Jesus returned 20 years ago to put all things right and to judge all sin, then I would be in eternal hell. Because I wasn't a Christian 20 years ago. You see, when did you put your faith in Jesus? Have you put your faith in Jesus? And if God were to come today, if Jesus the judge was to return today to bring his final righteous judgment and put all things right once and for all, well, what of our non-believing friends, our non-believing family? Their sin is on their head. You see, now is the time of salvation. 
Yes, we see God's wrath and judgment already being revealed on a sinful world. That has been so since Genesis 3. But as Jesus says in Matthew 24, these are but birth pains of that great last day judgment to come. But for now, God is patient with the non-believer. God is not bringing the righteous judgment that all people deserve now because he's patient with them, not wanting them to perish but to come to repentance is what 2 Peter 3 tells us. You see, if we are going to see how God sees, if we are to understand the times we are in now, if we are to realize that God is not ignorant of of suffering and evil in our world and that actually he's sovereign over it, then we need to understand that Revelation chapter 6 and chapter 7, as we'll see next week, is both a picture of judgment and salvation. That is the current state of our world and our time. It is the time of judgment and of salvation. But it won't be like this forever. Which brings us to the sixth and final seal for today, and much more quickly. And this time, this really is the picture of the end time judgment. That's what we're to see with seal number six. This is now the time when Jesus will return. And uh, I just want to read from verse 12. I, I just want uh, to read it, and I want you to, to read along with me. Just, to, to, uh, just as I read, listen in your own uh, minds and picture things as, as the Bible gives us this picture. I'm not going to give us an illustration to make this picture look more grand or whatever. See, the Bible gives us plenty of pictures of judgment. And it's terrible and it's terrifying to be on the wrong side of God's judgment. So I just want to read this. Please look at verse 12 as I read. Then I saw him, the lamb, open the sixth seal. And a violent earthquake occurred. And the sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair. The entire moon became like blood. The stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its unripe figs when shaken by a high wind. The sky separated like a scroll being rolled up. And every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth, the nobles, the military commanders, the rich, the powerful... And every slave and every free person hid in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of the one seated on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb, because the great day of their wrath has come. And who is able to stand? See, what a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. One day... On the day God has chosen, when he has saved all those he has chosen to save through Jesus, his son, the one on the throne and the lamb are going to come and judge all things. And all things will be put right. And on that day, every wicked deed and every tyrant and every abuser and every ruler and slave, rich and poor, man, woman and child who has not put their faith in Jesus for forgiveness of sins will face the full judgment of God for their sin. And all those from from past and present people alive today and whoever might be born into the future will be judged. And that is terrifying. And it is good because justice will finally be served, but there are many who have not had their sins forgiven. This is terrifying. You see, I wasn't exaggerating when I said that this is one of the most confronting passages in all of Scripture. God will make things right. God will rightly judge and justice will prevail and every sin will be answered for. 
And if we were to take Jesus out of the picture for a moment, just imagine uh, the beginning of chapter 5 last week when the angel declared who is worthy to open the scroll. Imagine that no one was able to come forward. Who is worthy? No one. If that was the case, well, who is able to stand? No one. No one. God is the creator. He made us to love him with all our hearts, mind and soul, love our neighbors as ourselves, and we haven't. And if there is no Jesus for forgiveness of sins, who can stand? No one. But praise God that as we saw last week, Jesus is worthy. And he died and rose to bring salvation. And so I plead with you, I really do. If Jesus is not yet your Lord and Savior, or if your friend does not yet follow Jesus as their Lord and Savior or your family member, plead with them. Plead with them to come and have their sins forgiven in the lamb that was slain. Because as sure as Jesus' death and resurrection is, so is Jesus coming to judge. And on that day, those who have not put their faith in Jesus will be pleading for the mountains to fall upon them. So is the righteous wrath of God that is about to come. So plead with them. It's not an easy chapter, but it's one we desperately need to understand. And one that will make chapter 7 next week far, far more glorious. Because who is able to stand? Well, because of the lamb that was slain, we will see next week a great multitude that cannot be numbered, that includes us from every nation, tribe, people, and language. Praise God for his mercy. Praise God for his grace. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a holy and just and righteous God. And we thank you that you aren't some tyrant who lets sin be unpunished. We thank you that you bring punishment for sin rightly. And Father, most of all, we praise you for Jesus. Because it's only by him that we can have our sins forgiven and be spared that judgment we deserve. Thank you for your love for us. But Father, please embolden us to realize this picture of Revelation chapter 6 so that we might be so bold to share Jesus with our friends and our family who desperately need to know of this salvation. We pray in your mercy and grace that you might save them too. Please empower us by your spirit to speak boldly. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.